so we have a project. We have a project. We call it OM Champion Project. Hi everyone and welcome to the Marseille View. My name's Stefan. Hope everyone's doing well and enjoying the return of Ligue 1. Um, this is our first podcast of the new season, so... What we have to bring to you tonight is our usual post-match review. So we'll be analysing last weekend's game against Brest in detail. However, we'll also discuss some of the recent news um, around the club regarding COVID-19 and our fixtures. And also a look at the Mercato discussing uh, our new summer signing um, due to Nagamoto and some other news. Um, it's just the two of us tonight, so it's just myself and Ben that are doing the talking. How are you, Ben? You all right? I'm good. Yeah, it's, uh, it has a bit of an armchair session feel to it. <laughs> so, hey, hopefully you guys still enjoy it and you, you get some useful insights from the game. Yeah, definitely. Um, are you pleased to see Marseille back in action after what, it's quite a long break? It seems like it, forever, doesn't it? It was almost six months um, and it's it is it is incredible to when you think obviously we know the situation lockdown happened there's been a you know the COVID nineteen has been been killing hundreds of thousands of people um, France strangely was the only country not to restart so well the only big league not to restart um, got a lot of stick for it. And then suddenly it's restarted and there are active COVID cases in, in nearly every team. So we're not shy of COVID yet, but glad to see us back in action. Okay, so as it's just the two of us tonight, actually I was just thinking, you know, because we were unable to get any other usual, our, our usual sort of crew on the show. But um, but while we're on the subject, I'm just, I'm just to say to everyone, we're always interested in new people joining the show. So if you're an OM fan and you speak English... Um, and you do fancy joining the podcast, get in touch with us. Um, let's you know tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, we always want to have more people from different parts of the world as well join the show if possible. Um, but yeah, just Ben and I tonight. But we're the best ones anyway, so hopefully that won't no one will miss the others. Um, so what we'll do is we'll follow the same format that we did for much of last season. So we'll have a chat about the game. We'll pick out some of the key moments for discussion then we'll go through the match um, with a a line-by-line analysis looking at key players and performances and who are the tops and flops you know from defense to attack Um, and then finally we'll you know we always sort of discuss our one takeaway from the match and then we'll consider some recent news regarding as i said around coronavirus and the fixture list and after that we'll finish up by looking at the mercato you know, our latest signing and some other news and rumours. Um, so it's quite, it could be quite a busy um, schedule. So, yeah, just starting off, I guess, um, Think let's start with the game. You know, so we missed our first game of the season, which we'll go into maybe in a bit more detail later because it was cancelled. Um, so second uh, journey was actually our opening game, so against Press, so we were away, hadn't played for a number of weeks came away with a 3-2 victory. So, I don't know, what's your general thoughts on the game? Do you think it was a, a good outing? Um, the first half was, um, but I think, it, it again, it's very hard, in, even in normal times, to draw a conclusion. In my personal view, I always sort of wait till the first four or five games to draw any meaningful conclusions. But the, the number one conclusion from the game is we're not match fit, and that is due to a number of friendlies being cancelled due to some of our players and, and opposition players becoming effective. Um, I think we played, out of all the Ligue 1 teams except Lyon and PSG, we, we played two friendlies less than everyone else, if not three in certain cases of certain teams. And some teams, such as Reims, are, are 
playing European Europa League qualifiers as well. So it, it, that's my main takeaway is we got the result and that was always going to be the most important thing on your opening game. You want to get the three points, um, but we'll, we'll come back and worry about the style over the substance in, in a few weeks. Yeah, I think, um, as you said, the lack of action was always going to be an issue going into this game. It's something that, you know, I think I, I, I'd express sort of worry about it, I think, in our um, group chat that we've got um, for the podcast um, before the game, just thinking, you know, we've got you, tough... you guys mentioned it last week as well, uh, sorry, a couple of weeks ago in the last podcast, that you, you weren't sure how quite how we were going to approach the first games in the first few weeks because of the lack of, of fitness. Exactly, and I think so we've had three games cancelled, two friendlies and then the opening game of the season. So I mean that's quite a lot of action going into you know, to miss out on going into the start of the season. And you could really see that quite early on in the game that we were a little bit disjointed, you know, I thought maybe um we just didn't look like we were used to playing together at times, it seemed like. I don't know if you felt like that. Um, you know, like a cl- I, you know often when you've got players that you know, are new, for example, and it takes a while before they start connecting with each other and reading each other. And at times we just looked a little bit like that, like we were a little bit disconnected, lots of missed passes and things like that. Um, just not in the same wavelength always. Yeah, I think I, think, <clears throat> I agree. Um, I think the most notable example of that for me there were there were two problem areas for us throughout the game the first half was the center of defense and um again Luca will probably hate me for saying this but I do give credit to AVB for ditching his slightly more conservative style I fully expected him to start Camara in, in central defense and start Streetman, Rongier and Sosso in midfield just to shore up and, and be conservative away from home but he gave a start to Bellardi and it, like any any young player and new player in any team, you're gonna you're gonna need to judge them after a few games because they're playing with new new teammates and they're trying to. Uh, again, I think he only played one game as a starter during the friendlies. I don't think he even started one of the games actually. So he, he was always going to struggle in his first game, but it um, it almost came to bite us in the ass in a couple of times in the second half. And then the other big problem was the, the left flank because Amavi. He had an okay game, but he wasn't he wasn't on top form like he was parts of last season, um, lacking the fitness, and he just was not helped at all by Nemanja Hadonic, who, who was anonymous and, and wasn't tracking back. So those were the two probably notable examples of what you've described of, of looking disjointed and, and other players having to compensate and as looking out of shape. Yeah, um, I I suppose like just thinking about some of the events in the game, it was actually quite a good match. I thought like in terms of action, so there was a lot of um, kind of back and forth play. It was especially in the first half, the the game was kind of switching from one end to the other, um, and we saw quite a few goals as well. So quite a busy game. But just thinking about the first goal from Tovan, it's quite a nice goal, wasn't it? And nice to see him, you know, straight back into it, I guess, you know, doing what he always does. I mean, if, if you're the Brest manager, you, you've got to be fucking fuming at that because he, I think Tovan was it was his first start since May 2019. He missed, as we know, he missed basically all of last season. And you, and you know that he's going to cut inside onto his left foot you're, you're the left back and the central defender that will have been drilled into you before the game, knowing Payet's not there, Tovan's going to be Marseille's main threat from the right wing. He's going to try and get on his left and curl a shot in. And and similar to Arjen Robin, he just he just manages to pull it off once a game. He, he always seems to find that angle. And if it's on target, more often than not, it ends up in the back of the net. And it was it was a really, really nice goal. Yeah, just textbook Tovan, really, isn't it? Um, it's the kind of goal he always scores. So, yeah, that's really good. And I, I think I was a bit worried about him, you know, after such a long absence, whether or not he would come back and be able to perform at the level that we you know we saw of him in the past so that's a really good start from him it's very promising and I'm kind of now I'm sort of excited about thinking about well Payet was doing so well without him the two of them can both play well together then you know that really raises our level to um well to, to a whole another sort of degree and it's something we've not actually seen the two of them together playing well so well informed so yeah some promising things to look forward to with him back 
Yeah, I mean, um, beyond his goal, he got two assists as well. So no, it was uh, it was he was man of the match, rightly so. He's in he's in the team of the week for the league. He, he played pretty well. I, I think he dropped off a bit in the second half, like the whole team did. Um, the one I won't criticise him, but I, I want to see him try and find Benedetto a bit more because he, he, they didn't seem to be combining very well. However, the the, the Sakai Tovan relationship was um, was one of the, the highlights of the game because it, it it's always been a strong partnership and they they played really well in the first half. They were causing all sorts of trouble. Yeah, yeah. Um, after the first goal, actually, we we had a penalty shout, didn't we? And it was well, it was not given, um, and much to the kind of dismay of much of the fans. Now, I think I don't know if you agree, but to me, it seemed like a penalty. What did you think? I'll um, I'll save that for my takeaway of the game. Steph. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So, fortunately, right after that, we got a second goal from Chileta Sar, um, which was a nice finish. I believe I thought so. Like, you know, I thought he took it really well. I've just watched it again. He he sort of shins it and it goes straight at the keeper and the keeper's already diving to the left for some reason. I, look, he got it on target and he did well to follow the ball through. But You think it's <laughs> accidental? No, no, no. He he wanted to take a shot, but, you know, I've seen... He basically put it straight down the middle. There was very little pace on the ball. I mean, yes, he got it on target and it went in the back of the net, but easily another day, if the keeper stays on his feet, he's he's saving that. So, look, at least he finished it. Okay. Well, I guess after that second goal, um, we kind of seemed to drop off and that's really when we started kind of um, conceding a lot more possession and opportunities to Brest um, and looking a little bit more vulnerable um, for a large period, large, sorry, large periods of the game. Um, so really, yeah, that's when we started seeing like fitness becoming an issue, players looking a little bit kind of just worse for wear. It was. Um, yeah, we dropped off a bit. I think mentally as well. I think the team just, just had that, that that attitude of we're two up, we can take a breather. But the problem is the other team was coming at us and we just couldn't cope. And um, that's when it started really coming apart in midfield because we started really brightly in midfield. We were getting the ball back in good positions. We were we were launching long balls to over the top. I mean, for, for the handball incident, Sanson makes a brilliant run straight down the middle, um, I think it's Camara who plays the ball over the top to him, and it, it almost it should have ended in penalty and a goal. But there were a lot of of those initiatives being taken in the in the early stages, and then after the second goal, Sanson, I think Rhin stepped up a bit, and they were trying to mark him zonally a bit 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 better than they had been. And then um, Strootman just just started going on a fucking foul rampage as he does sometimes. He, he lost his head a bit. He looked out of sorts, and um, he, he he put in a couple of late challenges. He got a booking. But um, he, he, I don't know, he just, uh, it seems like he, his concentration lapsed and that became a big issue because, because he was on the left of that midfield trident that, and, and Radonich and, and Amavi were already starting to show signs of fatigue and struggling and not, not having that partnership and, and defensive um, sort of communication. That really started costing us and that's, that's no surprise that the, the Reims, when they got a goal back, it came from the left side. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so just thinking about some of the players' performances, um, thought we'd just go through the kind of line by line analysis. So, um, thinking about the goalkeeper, actually starting off with Mandonda, he had a pretty good game, wouldn't you say? I think he built us out a few times. He did. His um, it wasn't as spectacular, but his performance and his role in this game reminded me of um, when we went away at Nîmes last year. I don't know if you remember that when Benedetto got a hat trick and and before he got his third goal, um, they had a flurry of really good chances and he pulled off a few really really good saves actually that that saved the result for us and kept us at two one and may, meant that we could go on to win three one. But um, without being as spectacular and putting off world class saves because Reims, uh, sorry Brest did have chances but Charbonnier fluffed a couple of them and skied them thankfully. Um, but the saves he did have to make, he made. And um, I, I quite liked the way he was uh, controlling the area, notably on, on set pieces, because he, he did... It's one of his weaknesses, actually, in his game, but he actually came out for quite a few balls, quite a few corners, and, and caught the ball and was able to um, to try and start some counter-attacks. So he he had a good game. He had a decent game, but not exceptional. 
Yeah, sorry, I agree. And I think we were kind of fortunate actually with um, Brest having, you know, some poor finishing from Charbonnier, who's kind of quite a lively player actually. He's quite enjoyable to watch, but he's he's a bit like a poor man's hero, I think. Like, you know, he kind of he gets in amongst it, but his finishing is, you know, clearly lacking. Um, on occasions, but yeah, so we were very lucky, I think, in that respect, and it kind of covered up a lot of defensive mistakes. But um, just thinking about the defence, actually, so what's looking at the central defensive partnership? So we got to see that Chaleta Sar Belerdi partnership. I don't know about you, but I found it a little bit shaky. So there were some things about it that I was kind of really pleased to see. I thought Chaleta Sar was fantastic in moments, you know, like almost mercurial, um, kind of saving the day a bit, you know, in, in the sense that he was um, correcting some mistakes that were being made by Balerdi and others at times, but also just his confidence just looks, you know, it looks very high. It looks like he is a player that's sort of coming into his own right now, doesn't it? Yeah, beyond beyond his performance, which was probably has to be said, is is one of the best. His best, obviously the goals, but just the performance, as you say, was he was he was the boss of the defence. Um, I think I really liked that he's showing leadership qualities now, and um, he doesn't look like that, that shy little Croatian player that had a high price tag on his on his back that he had to justify. He now looks like he knows whether it's in the next weeks or, or months, he is going to move to a big club, similarly, similarly to Azpilicueta. He reminds me a lot of Azpilicueta and his attitude and, and his um, his sort of presence on the pitch because he, he is just Mr. Reliable. And he, he, he bagged a couple of goals. So you can't ask for much more from him. Um, Balerdi, again, going to reserve judgment. Um, there were a couple of things that I thought, well... This kid does have potential. I think there was a, there was a, a point in the first half. There was a long clearance from from Brest, and he was surrounded by two players. And he brought the ball down and actually dribbled past both of them, and got fouled. Um, and it's moments like that you think, wow, okay, he's he's got some technical ability, um, but it's his reading of the game that that he needs to work on. And it, it was always going to be an issue anyway joining a new team. But he, that's that's where he left Chaletikar in. in just a couple of awkward situations where he had to mop up and put in a last ditch tackle. Um, notably in the second half, I think he, he it was an amazing tackle by Chetakar. Um, when, when, on what was, I think it was near the penalty spot, it was a clear goal scoring chance for Brest, and he goes in with a last ditch tackle because Bellardi should have been marking that player, and, and he was just, yeah. he looked lost. So, Absolutely. work needed. But it's quite clear that he's not going to be the starting centre back, and, and Alvaro is going to come back. And, and hopefully he brings not only the partnership with Chair Takar, but that, that authority and, uh, and and fighting spirit. Yeah, sorry, for me, Balerdi's um, um, performance, he was, um, you can, how would you say, he can, you can see that he's got technical abilities, that he's got great ball control. Um, he's a quite clever player. Um, he's nice to watch. You know, he can play the ball with both feet. Um but I just found that he just looked a little bit risky, you know, a little bit like uh, there's an accident in there waiting to happen. And, you know, as you said, you know, there was a key mistake where Chaleta Saar had to come in with this um, fantastic tackle to prevent a goal-scoring opportunity. But there was other issues as well. Like, you know, there was moments where, you know, he tries a difficult pass and gives the ball away. You know, I've seen that once or twice in the game where I just thought that wasn't the, you know, why can't he just punt the ball away when he needs to? He just looked like he was always looking to kind of um, shimmy his way out of a situation and do something clever rather than just get rid of the ball. And when you're, you know, floating around the 18-yard box with uh, a team pressing you, you can't really dick around much. And so I found that a little bit nervy. There was a moment in the second half where... He picks up the ball in the 18-yard box and he does a little kind of sort of shimmy dribble to the right and then does an outside, uh, you know, a, a pass with the outside of his foot to try and clear the ball. I don't know if you remember this one. Yeah. So, so just on the kind of... Uh, Panic like, stations. <laughs> I mean, why the fuck would you try a, a move like that there? I just, I was like, what the fuck is he doing? You know, he's just 
I don't know if this is just his lack of experience. Um, and let's the... let's look. We we can only just put it down to that. But if I see that in in week ten, I will be fuming. <laughs> let's put it down to his to his is the the novelty effect and his excitement and lapses of concentration, wanting to showboat a bit. But <laughs> if he does that in week ten. I think I'm gonna be I'm gonna be slating him heavily on this podcast, and not only on this podcast. Yeah, um, yeah. So maybe he just needs to learn to make the right choices at the right time, and and you know with time we'll see that he is a player that's not played a lot, so we've, we've got to give him credit. He is young and he, he's got a lot of a, a lack of action, sorry, in his legs. Um, so yeah. Um, other than that, I don't know if you had any thoughts on the fullbacks. I thought Amavi was a little bit worrying defensively at times, and you know. I think you touched upon it in the first breast goal, you know, the, and this is an issue we've seen so many times with him in the past is the, some you know, down the right-hand side, the opposition crossed the ball and he tries to block it and he's he's completely lost. It's, it goes, the cross goes under him and it le- leads to the goal. So um, I just sort of worrying about the way, how he gets caught out positionally and unable to defend himself at times. Yeah, I thought, I thought he improved a lot in the second half and that, what what you saw in the second half was him being a lot less adventurous. Um, and I think his main weakness, and I've said this time and time, is that the he, he goes too far forward and the ball always always seems to go over his head and someone's always making a run in, his, in behind him and it, it comes off too often. But that that is a weakness that he's been working on. And his other weaknesses, such as his lack of concentration and um, and forward play, he's he's improved a lot last season. Um, in the second half, I thought he was actually one of the better players. It was a dire second half performance, but he he was the only one that sort of held his rank, and he was um, he was clearing the ball quite effectively, and there wasn't too much danger coming from his side of the pitch. Um, and Radonich, I think as a, as a team, we 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 sort of sat a bit deeper anyway. But yeah, I can't. I'm not going to criticise him too much because Radonich did not do him any favours at all. And uh, Sakai, yeah, Sakai was just Sakai. I mean, he wasn't good. He wasn't bad. He he was a bit above average. Um, but yeah, I think he's um, he's gonna. I think we'll see a better Sakai if he starts more than Saar or if he, the games he does play in and Saar doesn't. I think we're going to see a better Sakai when Tavon is on the pitch, just because those two really do have a good, uh, a really good understanding, and they do cover each other very well defensively and attacking wise. So yeah. Uh, Sakai is. Uh, I'd rather him stay than we lose him and, and not not have anyone else. Especially now his Japanese compatriots join the team. I think he he might get a lift from that, a boost from that. Um, just sort of moving on to the midfield. Then thought it was kind of a bit patchy. Um, I found Kamara to have played pretty solid game actually. You know, very lively. Um, but I did find that. There were the other two in midfield. You know, as you said, Strutman was pretty poor on Sunday night. But Sanson, I thought I thought in the first half he looked good and then he fizzled out and he was just really poor and non existent after that. Um I don't know what your what your take on his performance it, it, was. It, exactly the same. Yeah, he um I I think he he showed obviously the, the lack of match fitness more than I, I actually was surprised because I would have thought you know, when you see him play during a full season last year, he, he's always the one that's always running in that midfield um, and making runs. But I think he probably overexerted himself too much in the first half. And then in the second half, he, um, Reims, uh, sorry, Brest did, did change the system slightly as well to, to try and put a bit of a muzzle on him. And it worked in the second half because we, beyond his performance, we just weren't able to clear our lines and build properly in the second half because they were pressing us much higher. Um Kamara was, was solid. He was priceless in the second half because he broke up a few attacks and, and made a good couple of clearances that put us on the front foot. And then, yeah, Strootman, I think he had a good 15, 20 minutes to begin the game. We went 2-0 up and then he, he just completely, I don't know, he just lapsed out of the game. Uh, he was a bit all over the place, even though he was probably the one that had legs. I, I think that fitness-wise, he looked like he was okay. His positioning was was not good in the second half. Okay, so I wanted to just sort of move on to the attack then and think about the front three. So we kind of talked about Tovan already, so I think we kind of all agreed that he, he was one of the tops of the game. But the other two, 
Radonich and Benedetto weren't so effective, were they? And I think I would, personally I would um, go as far as say that Radonich was absolutely fucking shocking. He, it seemed to me that every time he got the ball, he lost the ball. Um, I seen him. I think on two occasions in the game. I think one in the first half, one in the second half. He, you know, trying found himself in a really good position from a counter attack, trying to dribble his way towards a shot and turned his man to the, you know, from right to the left and then oh, sorry left to the right and then to the left again, and the, doing it three times each time he lost the ball. He got the ball taken off him. And I just, I don't know about you, but I, I mean, I've, well, I've never, you know, I've never been convinced by him as a player, but I just really question his um, football intelligence. It seems to me like he doesn't ever make the right decisions. Um, although he's got some skill, he doesn't use it right. So if you, it's no use being fast or skillful if you make the wrong choices and you end up losing the ball every time. And I thought that game on Sunday night kind of just exemplifies all the issues with Radonich, you know, just a player who has some individual qualities but can't put them together to to give us any sort of end product from those qualities. He's just he's just not good enough. I feel like he's just not, he's not yeah, yeah not no, this no. level. Well he's not consistent. He's got he's got the bursts of talent and we've seen it last year, but He's not consistent. And where he was really good, when he had that very good spell last year, when he was scoring and, and actually having a decisive impact on games, not only was it one when he was coming off the bench, I can't I can't actually tell you a single game I've seen him start where he put in a, a decent performance. I think he, he's not a starter. He's an impact sub. Um, and, and if he doesn't work on his, his game, he's not going to ever be a starter at this club and unless he drops down the level anywhere else. But at the same time, the problem with him is if he doesn't get consistent game time, he's, I don't think he's going to, he's going to hit that, that level of sharpness where it, these things that you mentioned, his, his dribbling and his decision-making, they're not going to improve if he doesn't get that run of games. Um, so again, I think where he was decisive last year was when he was keeping his game simple. He was dribbling two players and then either passing it or taking a shot and it was scoring and granted a few wonder goals last year, um, but they were they were seemingly flukes because we we didn't get to see him for the rest of the season because the season ended and who knows if he would have continued on that on that streak. But yeah, he he just needs to simplify his fucking game, and if he's not simplifying it, he's doing the dribbles and they're coming off, and then he's losing the ball because he's either taking one touch or two touches too many, or he's he's fluffing his pass because he's he's out of out of breath. And it's it's just so frustrating to watch. Notably in the second half, I think we had that was probably our best chance of the second half was the counter attack when he was played free on goal. And not only does he slow down to actually try and go back on his right foot, he just he just tries to dribble a second player as well when he could have he could have taken a shot. So it's he's frustrating as hell. He's the kind of player that you remember playing with as a kid that everyone used to get really pissed off at who didn't pass the ball, you know, and would <laughs> exactly always try and do everything. That. And it, exactly. this, this is professional football. You would think by now he would have learned um, and that he wouldn't have got as far as he's got because of his sort of inability to, you know, read the game right in, in, in the moments and, and make the right choices. So it's very I'll strange. What, he's, in a, he's in a really, really shit position because Payet, we all know he's going to be the starter, whether he's good or not, and hopefully he carries his form from last year. Payet is going to be the name on the team sheet on the left. Tovar Touchwood stays fit and plays like he did, apart from his his last season where he got an unlucky bad ankle injury. The years before, he was always quite fit, and he was he played probably eighty percent of all games in in all of his seasons at the club. So if you're Radunic, Radunic, you're looking at that and you're going, fuck me, when am I actually going to get some game time if these two stay fit and healthy? Because you're not good enough to be a starter and, and you're not benefiting from a situation on the right wing where AVB is constantly juggling between you and Germain and Aki and, and Saar because he's trying to find a, a solution to Tovar not being there. So he, he is under a lot of pressure and if he doesn't up his game and up his concentration, he's going to really struggle for game time. Yeah, and he must be worried about um, the threat that 
sort of post from Mali Ake because Ake is coming on and actually looking a bit more effective than Radonic. She's looking like he is a player who can have an impact in, in the team. Who you know, a player who seems to make the better choices. Um, on he the he ball. just keeps it simple. Exactly, he, it simple. he does. He's not. He's not a player that you know tries to do too much. Is it? He just does little things, and he's he, he you know he he moves the ball on when he needs to. So he's looking to me um, like a more realistic sort of um, backup option for the for the two stars, you know, in the wings. Um, I hope so. I hope so. Um, I, if I was Radonich, I, I would be worried, I agree. Okay, so the other player then was Benedetto. Um, I thought he had a pretty flat game. Um, I, I, I don't know about you, I, I just didn't really find him to be very, very <sighs> on form. Maybe didn't get a lot of service, but does he do enough to, to bake his own opportunities? What, maybe what, a worry. Yeah, what we're doing to Benedetto is what Garcia did to Jamal, which is put him up front, isolated, with two centre-backs on his back, and because we don't have a number ten, there's nobody to take take one of the centre backs off him in the in the middle of the pitch when we're, when we're when we're building attacks and not when we're counter attacking because he always seems to his first touch is world class, his passing is really good when he's when he's concentrated he's he's he can pick a pass that can pick a defence apart, but he needs the time on the ball and he's not going to get the time on the ball if he stays isolated because our system doesn't cater to, to his style of play and his his physique. If we had Diego Costa, who's a fighter and 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 a, or a Giroud who who works, but also has that that strength to be able to chest the ball down to someone and then run run off and and play someone else in. That's not his style, and it never will be. He's not he's not a big player. He's he's not pacey. He's a very technical poacher. He's got a good sense of positioning, and I think that is a problem that we've been seeing at OM for years now. Um, Yes, we have Payet and Tovan who, who get some crosses in and create for the centre-forward and they combine well in, in, in little small, small spaces where they put some good good nifty little one-touch plays together and Benedetto maybe can get on the end of it and, and put a shot on our goal. But because we don't have... You look at the profile of our midfield yesterday, not a single one of those three was a creative player. Um, Rongier maybe is a little bit, but he's, he is more of a workhorse as well. Um, Lopez is probably the only one we have in the squad who who can fit that sort of tricuatista style of play where he can he can pick a pass forward and he can make a run or or um, try and get himself in that number ten part of the pitch where he takes a bit of pressure off the striker. But we don't have that profile and that is going to be a big struggle throughout the whole season, especially if we're now going to play deeper because AVB mentioned it didn't he in, in the friendlies that he's trying to play deeper and adapt us to Champions League. Benedetto is going to find himself very, very isolated, and, and I'm very worried that he's going to he's going to sort of fizz out like Germain did progressively over three years because he's just going to be running, 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 not getting service and getting very frustrated. Mm, I think that sort of um, makes me think about what we'll discuss later on in terms of the potential strikers that might come into the club and what their role might be. Although I would say, just to you know. Um, finish up there that I'm not sure that playing with a number 10 is necessarily the solution you know I think that um, it doesn't always work and you know a lot of coaches nowadays are hesitant to play with that kind of system because there isn't a lot of those kind of natural number number 10 type players out there you know that have got the right skills to do that role so it's quite hard to to implement it um, Agree. I don't. I don't think you necessarily need it from a tactical point, tactical point of view. Systemic. I think you need a player who's capable of getting of drifting inside to that position, which Payet does very well. So, again, another you know, another sort of saving grace from the analysis of his performance for Benedetto is the absence of Payet because yeah. he, him, the, the, both of them were combining pretty well last season, and that's how Payet scored quite a few of his goals was was Benedetto being involved. So. <sighs> We we I'll give him a, a stay of execution, but I'll give AVB a warning that he he needs to find solutions to get him more involved in the games. If not, we're gonna it's gonna be like we were under Garcia with Germain. We're just gonna be it's gonna look like we're playing with ten men. Yeah. Okay. Um. So just to finish up on the game, just very quickly, what was your takeaway from Sunday's match? Look, a, a new season. A new broadcaster, a new sponsor for the league. 
but the same old fucking referees who are, they've got to be the most inconsistent in the world and the, the blatant, blatant fucking favouritism from game to game is is now, I think we mentioned it last season, I had a bit of a rant about it in, in the first half of last season already and that's sadly going to continue. I mean, the bullshit, like the, the handball not being given that 99% of the time with VAR, that handball is given to any other team. And that is a stonewall penalty. It, it, it doesn't, it's not one of those where it hits his arm. It's not one of those where it, it hits his shoulder or he tackles and it somehow bounces off his arm. It is literally hand to ball. He lifts his hand up accidentally. The ball hits him in the hand, clear as day. And they took... I mean, the, the VAR review must have been farcical. How can you review that and not give a fucking penalty? And then it, you think that, oh, well, okay, that's happened. The referee's now going to wake up and, and start, you know, stop sort of treating both teams a bit more fairly. And then we scored the second goal. And it t- they take half, he gives it offside for God knows what reason, because from every replay, every angle of that replay, there's only one player offside, and it's, I can't remember who it is, but he's, he's off at the far post, miles away from Chaletta car. And, and he, it just takes them, he, he cancels the goal, looks like he reluctantly asks VAR to check it, and then it's given almost three minutes later, and it's just this, it, it's just embarrassing, it's a circus. It's a circus. Even the commentators are saying, you know, the, the foreign commentators, because we watch it on BT Sport, it's, he, he, was, he was gobsmacked at, at, at what was going on. It's like he couldn't believe that it hadn't been given the penalty and he couldn't believe the whole kerfuffle on the second goal. And it, it's, just, it's just ridiculous when you look across the other games. I've, I've watched the highlights yesterday of all the other games. If you look at Lyon's game, their second penalty is an absolute joke where their player ha- takes a tumble, running away towards the touchline to chase a ball down. There's a little bit of contact with the defender on, on barely on the edge of the area and they get a penalty given for them. And it's, it is just becoming so blatant that there are teams that are being systematically disadvantaged by a system. And I can't say the corruption word and i I believe it strongly, but there, there is a game of influence being played somewhere where decisions that are stonewall would be given for Lyon or PSG or even Bordeaux are, are just ignored when it comes to Marseille. And it's, it's getting embarrassing because it is now so apparent. Bloody hell. <laughs> That was a rant. I didn't um, warn you. I didn't yeah, warn you. <laughs> yeah. So I said very quickly. Um, yeah, I'm going to be a bit more positive actually, and just sort of say it was a winning start. Um, that was my takeaway really from the game, which was that we went into a game as a with as a big unknown. Really, we didn't know where we were going to be at. You know, in terms of quality, in terms of physicality, fitness, and we got away with it. You know, we we went in there and. Clearly, our quality got us the win because we were, you know, lacking in the other areas without the sort of match practice. So, getting into that game away from home, start the season three points for me is my takeaway. That's my it's a positive one. True, it's true, it's true. I mean, with with that starting eleven, missing Payet and missing Alvaro, you, you, you I, I would, I was hoping you'd expect to win seventy percent because your your bias is an OM fan and Brest took a beating in their first game. But yeah, I agree with you that actually, with hindsight, you think Jesus, we we did really well to come away with the three points. So I, I think I'm going to leave it at that and just kind of move on from the Brest game. Just thinking about time and a few of the topics we want to talk about. We mentioned this at the start, and we talked about this, I think, in the last podcast a few weeks ago. We've had some issues in the squad with uh, COVID-19, so we've had a number of players have um, caught the virus, and it led to us missing the opening game of the season against Saint-Étienne. That's been rescheduled to the, I want to say, is it the 19th? I believe. I mean, the 17th. 17th. And then we've so got... Four, four days after PSG. Yeah, so we've got, I think, PSG on the 13th, isn't it? And then the... Yep. Santa Tien on the 17th and then Lille on the 20th. And yep. So it's a, that's led to us having this really, really tough, jam-packed week. Um, and 
yeah, it's just there's a, I, there's a number of things I wanted to sort of touch upon here actually. So, firstly, just the lack of clarity, I suppose, from the leak about what was happening. I think up until the day before the game against Brest, none of us were sure that this game was actually going to go ahead um, because of the number of players that had actually contracted the virus within the squad. Um, so we were pretty late getting any sort of um, confirmation. Um, and it just seems like seems like it's, it's all a bit of a messy affair, doesn't it? It's... So... I was listening to you guys a couple of weeks ago and it did actually get published late. And I think the LFP have basically aligned themselves on the UEFA ruling, although adapted to a league situation and not a not a Champions League format where you play every couple of weeks. So what, what, they, what the rules state is that basically, unless it's decided by the medical committee of the LFP to move the game due to potential other undetected cases beyond those that are reported, a, an affected team can ask for a for a game to be postponed or moved, and then it's a, it's basically the LFP. It's up to them. They decide yes or no, and that seems to be what happens with with the Brest game, where AVB apparently allegedly put in a request. They tried to get it moved. The league said no. We can't have we don't really fancy moving it because you still have a number of fit players and you have players that, that have tested negative since their positive test, so they're back in your squad, which was Mondandin and Amavi, I believe, and Rongier. And I think that's that's where the lack of clarity lies, is that, again, it's another potential opportunity for, for favouritism and, and manipulation of the table and, and, and calendar where some teams, when it doesn't suit them, and they have a bad injury pilot, for example, I wouldn't be surprised to, to see tr- some teams try it on. And of course, I'm thinking about Lyon PSG. But well, I- now that you say that, don't you think it's funny that um, the league granted PSG permission to postpone their game against Lens just because of the Champions League? But Marseille have an outbreak of coronavirus in the squad, and that's not a good enough reason to postpone Again, the, I, I, the game. Again, I'm funnier, funnier still. I think it's hilarious that PSG have, have allowed... I think almost half of the first team that, that started Champions League final, they're all in Ibiza. All of them. Icardi, Paredes, Di Maria, uh, Neymar, and there's a couple of others that are there as well. So they've all gone to a region that has has seen a, a rebound in COVID cases recently. And and you'd think, I don't know, I don't know, you look at it from a business point of view. I've got a business continuity plan at work. I can't be in the office if my colleague who does the same role is because if he gets ill, I need to be able to cover for him. And it's the risk of passing it on to other members of the team as well. And you just think, fuck me, not only the oversight and, and favouritism of the PSG, of the, the LFP towards PSG, but the, the complete ignorance of PSG who, who have let their players go away altogether in the same place at the same time and it's just an it's an accident waiting to happen yeah um well i don't want to dwell too much on psg's issues but yeah just it does it does there is a lack on, of on the, um, rationale upside, i guess in the decisions that the league make you know regarding yeah, on, on the upside, games. with concern to that though any psg player that becomes infected from today will automatically have to miss the om game so there is there is some potential silver lining if if Neymar yeah. and Mbappe and others catch it. Well, I don't I, I I don't want to wish that on anyone, obviously. No, but, no, no, um, no. But um, yeah, so I mean that, that there's a a point there though worth considering, which is that we are going into this this really difficult um, tight period of fixtures. The opening game against PSG, you know, after the international break, is a game that we are you know expecting to get thumped. And especially with the lack of activity that we've had, but you know there is a possibility, as you said, that PSG are going to be missing some players, so um, that might change our prospects in that game of getting a result. Um, but yeah, so I don't know what are you thinking. Maybe it's a good time to do a bit of a, you know, a, a preview um, regarding the PSG PSG game. What our thoughts are in terms of what we're we expecting. I'm going to just keep it short. I'm expecting us to lose and and lose badly. Um, um, I'd be, I'd be sadly, I hate to say it as an OM fan, but PSG are just miles ahead of of any club in this league. Um, They will be super motivated after losing the Champions League and all the banter that Payet has given them and all, all of us as fans have given them. 
they know that if they beat us and beat us well, their fans will will move on from the Champions League and, and look forward to the new season, and that will be that will be the start of something new for them. Sadly, I just don't expect us to get any kind of result, and and again, even sadder. Um, I think AVB is going to set up very, very deep and we're just going to be seeing a practice game for PSG who, who are going to be fitter than us because they played competitive fixtures. And I'm, I'm, I'm a bit worried that we're not only going to lose, but we're not, we're not even going to threaten them, is my worry. Yeah, I, I would uh, agree with that as well. And I think, um, as you quite rightfully said, they are going to be very up for winning that game and comfortably because of the um, amount of trolling that um, players and fans have been given I mean, um, PSG after their defeat to Bayern Munich. So I think they're going to be very up for it. Um, and, you know, as you kind of said as well, um, about AVB's um, approach to the game, looking at how he's talked about the games like this in the past, um, I I just don't think he's going to even bother going for it. I think he's just going to, as you said, see it as a practice game for him to get players some minutes rather than actually some points, and which is really disappointing. But it's away from home, isn't it? So we can't really, and there's no fans anyway. But we can't really expect. But well, there wouldn't much. have been fans anyway for us. <laughs> <laughs> there never is. No, this is true. Um, but yeah, so I I don't think we. Can expect much anyway, and, and under normal circumstances, a game like this wouldn't be a game that we would be expecting to pick up any points. I mean, how no. long has it been since we even got a ten, draw ten in years. Paris? No, we've got a draw there with um, with Michel yeah, with uh, La Sanadjara. Did we? we? No, with, it was Rudy Garcia's first game actually. Sorry, we oh, got so you're right when he put or second bus. game. Yeah, yeah, we parked the bus. That was like well. the only game under Garcia's um, tenure that we actually defended well. I remember. <laughs> No, I think La Senadjar was uh, was responsible for a lot of that good performance that day. But um, I, I, I think the, the only thing I, I hope to not see in that game is regardless of the result, I don't want to see us making five changes. I don't want to see us tr- accepting that we're getting battered and we're just going to bring on the kids for the sake of it. I just don't want to see that because we've got, you've got to save some dignity. If, if we're getting battered, I'd rather the, the 11 or... 12 or 13 who are on the pitch see it through to the end and, and learn from it and take some humility rather than as then at half time if we're 3-0 down he changes 4 or 5 players I don't want to see that that's not football it's not good for their confidence as well for those players that don't get a lot of minutes or that are young they, they, to put them into a game like that is you know is, is I, I think is a, it would be a poor management choice in terms of protecting those players so yeah hopefully not um, okay so Nearly towards the end, actually. So I just thought yep. we would talk about the Mercato and, and some of the stories around that. So um, the big news this week is that we have finally got our left back. And it's one that I think none of us saw coming. So I think we all probably were wondering who on earth are we or can we sign because we've got no money. Um, and the, the club have gone for someone that's a bit of a surprise. So it's an experienced player. Um, which is a surprise given that we've heard, you know, all this um, talk about how McCourt would didn't want us to bring in any more um, over thirties. Um, he wanted us to bring in younger players and stop signing old players that have no um, sell-on value. So, but actually, we've gone for a player who's nearly thirty-four. Um, it's a Japanese international, Yuto Nagamoto, who I think a lot of most people might will probably know this player because he's pretty high profile, I guess, from his time at Inter Milan. Um, currently playing in Turkey. Um, with, well, was playing in Turkey with Galatasaray. I mean, for me personally, this is a player that I was never all that convinced about. I think there's um, a lot of deficiencies in his game. He's got a lot of pace, um, a bit of energy can play on both sides, I guess. There's a lot of positives, maybe, about about him. Um, I'm just not sure he has the quality, though, and at his age, whether or not he's got much left in his legs to make that much of an impact at, at, at a club like us and going into the Champions League. So, for me, I'm I'm pretty disappointed, actually. I think it's a, um, a poor move. Um, and I, I think that there was possibly other people out there in you know, in the market that 
maybe we couldn't have picked up for free, but we could have picked up for very, very um, small prices. Um, it, it's it's a difficult analysis right now, and I think you've got to you've got to take the context of firstly the club. Um, if you look at the Mercato so far, we've signed only three players, um, and only three as in free agents cost us nothing apart from their wages. Um, Pap Gay is uh, Jacques Henriero hoping to resell him for 30 million signing. Balerdi was AVB finding a youngster that he thinks he can he can mould into something as a, into a squad regular, getting him on loan and potentially signing him next year if he does well. If we do have some money, and then Longoria has come in as as the, the sporting director, and this this looks like his his first move, um, and. Look, we've hired a sporting director that I think we can all agree is probably a bit more competent and analytical and in touch with modern football than, than Zubi was. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna start pissing all over his first recruit. Do we know that? I don't know if we know that. I think there's a lot of unknown about him. I'm not there, sure. there is unknown, but I think he's. I, I just like. I think his profile is more scientific than Zubi's, which is probably relying on on his relationships and. And um, he, he, Zubi was high, heavily reliant on his sidekick Albert Valentin, who was the brains behind the, behind the, um, the, 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 the magician's curtain, really. Um, Longoria, I think, is more of a hands-on guy. And look, Nagatomo, as you said, he, he's a Sakai clone. He basically is a Sakai clone. He can play both sides. I think he's he's got that, you know, that Japanese sort of concentration. He's got thirty plus. Combined, I think he's got twelve Champions League games and then twenty odd Europa League games. We, it's the type of profile we need in the squad: someone with European experience who's not bling bling and who's who's a bit older, who's going to be a bit of a you know silent leader in the dressing room. He was described like that today by uh, by Vaid Ali Ludzik's um, assistant, who who worked with him when he was managing the Japan national team. So, I, I think we we can't. I won't personally start whinging because we've been whinging and, and cursing the club for not signing a backup left back for three three and a half years now. We finally have one. Let's just move on from that position. We've sorted it. There are there are bigger problems in the squad than than the left back now that we've got one. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I think that he's a, he's going to be a positive influence in the dressing room. And if that's all he brings, he's signed for one year. We've not given him a five-year deal. I think he's on less than two hundred k a month. I'm not. I'm not going to whinge too much about him. I'm, I'll, I'll take it. Okay. Well, I, I, I'm going to whinge. Um, so I think um, comparing him with Sakai, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of similarities. But physically, he's, he's a lot smaller than Sakai actually. And I think I know he's played in Italy before, which is you know quite a physical league. But um, I don't know, maybe his lack of height and stuff like that could be an issue in, in Ligue 1 and, and, and at his age, as his pace starts to go and stuff, who knows, we'll see. But um, actually, for me, I hope that this doesn't mean that Rokia is going because I feel like we need to have someone young there that has the potential to use up both Nagatomo as the backup and potentially a Mavi in the long term. Now, I know that um, Rocky has had some fitness problems, is what, I, and that's what I understand is what AVB is not convinced about is the fact that he's not had a chance to properly see him to use him because he's because his injuries. Um, now you may have seen recently there was, there's been sort of rumours that we are saying in that we've had a left back on trial. I think his name is Milimomo or Milimono, um, young player yep. from, from Nice. Um, and the rumours were that he's going to be offered a contract. Um, so I'll wait to see whether or not that is true. It comes to, and it comes to fruition. But the you know as, if we, as long as we're bringing in someone young who we see or we believe has the potential to break into the team, then I'm okay with the Nagatomo signing. Um, but I just I I I I, I need us to to. Um, have that option, I guess, for me. Just having a Mavi and this guy. What if this guy turns out to be like that Italian chap we had years ago? To check, to check, <laughs> no, or to check. <laughs> what, 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 what if he's like Patrice Evra? You know, think how bad Patrice Evra. Well, I know he's like Evra. Evra had a good sort of initial stint, and then it went to his head a bit 
a bit, and then he just he just fucked about. He he dropped he his terrible. performance drops, on, and, and then he he's... kicked one of our fans in the fucking face. So... He was terrible, right? <laughs> From the start, he was rubbish. <laughs> no, um... he had he had a couple of of games where he scored. I think against Nice, he had a blind the blinding game at the Velodrome. He scored one, got an assist, and at the 80th minute, ripped his shirt off or something after scoring the winning goal. I can't remember, but... Okay, well, anyway, <laughs> so we have a different memories we're, of we're this, just, but... We're just bridging the gap, clearly, as you say. I think this is this position will be addressed next year. Touchwood, we qualify for Champions League again. We actually have a bit of spending money. Then we need to address it properly. I will question if he is average. I don't want us to just settle for giving him another one-year deal because we, we can't be asked to find something else, as yeah. you say, so... I'll take it for one year. Let's see what he's worth. Absolutely, and I, 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 I just think that there was other. There might, there may have been other players out there. You know, like we saw, and I know he's not been in good form in recent seasons, but we saw Ricardo Rodriguez from Milan go to Torino for three million euros. What's happening to guys like um, Conan from from Rams? Uh, he's been. Uh, you know, injured for a long time. He can't have much of a sell-on value at the moment. We saw Kamara, who gone from go go from uh, Hans to uh, Nice um, on for three million euros as well. He's a decent player. You know, he's not he's not going to be world class or anything. But there was cheap and, options and, out there as well. I'm and saying we let uh, we let Nkunku leave as well. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't I didn't want to go into that. I'm still pissed off about that one as, <laughs> as you remember so yeah so we, we left a very promising young player go so that's why I also want I need I want us um, to bring in someone young who maybe replaces in Kunku in terms of that potential to break into the team someone someone with um, that quality that might actually be able to make that step so we'll see um, we'll okay see. yeah so and that you know, the signing at Nagatomo leaves us, I guess, with one other potential uh, signing. So AVB's been put quite clear that he wants to bring in a forward. Um, there hasn't really been a lot of names mentioned. The one that's kind of coming up a lot at the moment um, is Bully Dia, who's a player um, who's been linked to us a lot in the past, plays for France. Yep. Um, and... Um, Maybe his profile is probably right for us in the sense that he can play through the middle and on on the wing. I think so. It looks like we're looking for someone like that. That's maybe a little bit more versatile, um, who gives the AVB different options tactically. Um, is this? Do you think this is a player that we're going to get, or that you a player that you want to have? I um, I I rate him not highly, but I I rate him. I think he's a good little league on player. Um, I would rather the context be that Haas had qualified for Europe last year and we'd seen him have a couple of games in Europe and, and seen if he can he can score goals in the Europa League and play at that extra level, have that bit more experience. Um, the fact is that's that's he's gonna that's gonna happen this year if he stays there. Um, but uh, what what worries me about this transfer is the figures that are being quoted and if it's anything north of, of nine to ten million no way we should we should just not bother um we can't afford to take another 15 million gamble um the same way i don't want to sign in by Nyong for 20 or 25 million because i think we could get two or three players for that many um so it's it's the problem with strikers is that that is often the well actually fucking central defenders are somehow the most expensive um commodity now thank you guardiola but um yeah, I think it's as a striker you want. I do want someone that has his profile, though, someone who's pacey and and who, and who can run in behind. Um, we haven't had a, a striker with that profile since Batshuayi. He's not really the finisher, though. That say someone like Batshuayi is. I, I've got doubts about his ability to my, score my many goals. Is, uh, yeah, my worry is he 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 reminds me of Ibrahim Bakayoko. Oh God! Um, That's my well, worry about the, him. <laughs> I mean, I, to be honest, I, I don't know if he's got the potential that Bakayoko had. I think Bakayoko, when he came to Marseille, was a big prospect, and I, I think a lot of people thought he was going to be, you know, a top player. And he, yeah, and he then he, he had two left feet, but yeah, yeah, he wasn't actually that good. Um, I, I, there is another player that I've seen a lot of people talk about, but I don't, I haven't seen any um, any links to the player from any um, media sources. But I've seen a lot of people in comments on Twitter talking about, you know, Billy uh, Dia, but also Abib Diallo 
for Mets. I don't know if you if, if there is an actual concrete link to the player, or maybe or if it's just that people want to see us look um, go after this guy. I think he has the right profile, but um, but it's, it's the same. There's just too many unknowns, and the minute that the problem is the minute someone else gets involved, the price goes up, and we we clearly don't have many. I think uh, it's interesting though listening to AVB's comments because ten days ago he he started he he sort of said look. It's, it's still clear in my mind. I understand completely that the club needs to sell to race fans before we can even look at signing anyone. And then suddenly in the pre-match conference on Friday, he he was a bit more elusive and he was like, oh, it seems like we may be able to to find some money to do a centre forward after all. So whether, yeah. whether he has someone in mind or whether he's managed to get, I don't know, a 10 million paycheck signed off somehow... That that is a bit more, you know, it gives me a bit more hope. But again, I don't want us to be leaving it until I know the window's open till October. But we need the squad together, and we need the squad together now, and we need players to start training together um, and building that that togetherness. And if we bring in a striker in October, just before a, a week, a few weeks before the Champions League starts. If this guy's suddenly going to find himself in the position of having to replace Benedetto on on weekends following the the Champions League games, the poor guy is going to be under an immense amount of pressure to slot straight into the team, and and he's going to be expected to score straight away, and that's not a good climate to bring anyone in, particularly because it's likely we're not going to bring in someone who's who's got experience and can cope with the pressure. Yeah, um, I think actually I've, I've forgotten. Sorry that. One of the players that's name has popped up recently is uh, Morelos for Rangers, and that's a player that has been linked to us for an eternity, it seems. Um, so he's linked to Lille as well, and I think yeah. I think we're looking at him on loan, and Rangers want to sell, and then Lille went off to sign Jonathan David. So I don't think Lille are interested anymore. It no, could, I, think I don't think it so, just but... it just sounds like a, a rumor from the agent to me, but who knows? Possibly, but yeah, we just we've not had a lot really um, thrown at us. You know, we're sort of like. Um, clutching at straws, trying to um, find players that we might actually be interested in signing without any money. But yeah, maybe as you said, you know, um, we might actually have a bit of cash for this move, and that seems to be well, what's been implied by AVB. So fingers crossed. Um, even if we do have a bit of cash, it's hard to imagine who who we could bring in, you know, without a substantial check. But we'll see. Um, I think just. To finish off, um, there was one last thing I wanted to to, to say, and that was um, just the news today that we've brought in a new head of recruitment at the club. So that is, is it David Frio? Is it yep. David, yep. I think. Um, so he is formerly of Saint-Étienne and Manchester United. Um, I think that completes the new organisational structure uh, at the club, you know, with the new with Longoria and the chap, the marketing chap, general manager guy. yeah, that yeah. guy um, who didn't um, get off to a good start <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this new guy so yeah, that seems to be us going forward, um, any thoughts oh, oh, on this new oh, chap? Oh, yeah, all we've done is replace the numbers, I mean Zubi and, and Valentin left and we've brought in Longoria and, and Frio and and that's it. And it's just it's just a replacement with fancy job titles to to make it look like it's something fancy. It's not. It's exactly the same thing. Um, I will say um, I don't know much about the guy. I just know I, I actually I think I met him. I don't remember if, if it was him, but when I was a student in Nottingham in, in from two thousand six two thousand nine, he that's where he started off because I think that's where he finished his playing career. And then he started off in his first scouting role there. And he bought in Guy Moussi from Angers at the time. And Guy Moussi went on to become a pretty solid championship player. I think he even played in the Premier League with Fulham or, or another promoted team in the last few years. And then he's he's the man credited with discovering Paul Pogba for United. Um, so... <sighs> Look, that was years ago. He then worked at Saint-Étienne and, and granted Saint-Étienne is probably not a fucking easy place to work with. The, the, the two presidents that are constantly fighting each other like Golden Sullivan at West Ham. It's a bit of a weird context. I don't think we can judge him. But to both of them, I will say 
I'm I'm not going to I'm not going to criticise either of them because thank you for for coming to our club in a position where you know you're not going to have any fucking money to spend. You're not going to be able to do a very effective job because any any position any player you bring in the club the club's ownership structure is going to going to expect an instant return on investment. So I do not fancy being in their position. So I, I do have a lot of respect for these guys for taking on this task, which is not going to be easy in a club that has no money but fancies itself as a as a challenger. So yeah. good luck, good luck to both of them, and, and thank you to them for, for taking taking an opportunity with us. I would just say that I'm not sure being the guy that discovered Paul Pogba is really um, something to brag about because. Not because I don't rate Paul Pogba, but quite the opposite. But I think anyone can, when you've got a player that good, surely anyone can spot that talent that's there. Um, it's maybe it's the harder thing to do is surely to spot those players that are, you know, the rough diamonds that can be developed into quality players rather than the ones that just have bags of natural talent like Pogba does. You know, but I don't, I don't really know anything about football. You know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, and again, you'll, you'll have all the people, you'll have loads of people judging him on um, his work at Saint-Étienne. But again, you, you've got to put these guys that are working as recruiters into the context of the club they're working at. They're given clear directions by whoever's the manager and the owner at the time to, in terms of budget, in terms of profile of player, in terms of we want either someone who's experienced in the league or we want someone who's got a resale value. I don't, I, I can't even give you the name of a good Saint-Étienne transfer from the last three or four years. I don't think there have been any. I think a, a few of their good players have been academy players. They have been and they've signed a lot of kind of older players that have come in and done a job for a couple Fucking of seasons. You know, Kazi, like, you know what I mean? Kazi. Yeah. Jesus. Kabea. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah perhaps. Good luck, good luck to both of them anyway. Yeah. Okay, um, I suppose... Dennis Boanga has done well. He's probably been a good signing. But yeah, anyway, that's enough about them as well. <laughs> Stop talking about other clubs. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that's probably it for tonight. To be honest, I think we've probably covered everything. I I think that's it. I, I don't have much else to add. I think what we'll probably do is try and get an episode out there after the Paris Saint-Germain game because it's the big game. Um, that, you know, and I think yeah, we'll, we'll definitely want to cover that. Um, and then there's there's this Saint-Étienne and Lille in, in short succession, so probably one after both those games, I guess. I think yeah, possibly. I think um, if, if you know if we can do, we'll try we'll try our best and get another one out after those fixtures. Yeah. So yeah, thanks very much, Ben. Um, yeah, well, no, no, it's a bit of a bit of a weird one, just both of us. But hey, at least we uh, at least I got to rant about the referees, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I guess let, let's finish off. Give a birthday to one of uh, birthday wishes to Tony Cascarino, who's one of your favourite OM players, isn't he? Too right. Yeah, I've got a bit to say about him, but I, I don't think I've got time. But yeah, just to <laughs> say that for me, growing up in Glasgow and um, how to say an environment where um, Celtic were very much um, loved, it was, him playing for Marseille was quite a big deal for me as a kid, actually. Um, and he was ahead of a player as well. Yeah, he was banging in the goals left, right, and centre for us. So yeah. Um, happy birthday, Tony. I think he's 58, so it's not a special one, but nonetheless, you know, it, any excuse to talk about Tony Cascarino is, is a good one. <laughs> and, you know, on the subject of Cascarino, to, to finish off, not that I like plugging other podcasts or this one because it's a bit like P, uh, PSG propaganda podcast, but the Le, Le Jeu, <laughs> the Ligue 1 official podcast, they had um, an episode earlier on in the summer um, with a um, interview with Tony Cascarino. It's quite interesting. Check it out. It was talks, very good. Talks about his thoughts on in Marseille and where he should be and stuff. And I think, yeah, it's, a, it's worth a listen. So, with that note, I think we'll end tonight. And yeah, thanks everyone for oh, listening. Good. Yeah, thanks everyone. Thanks, Steph. And um, we'll speak to you hopefully in not too awful spirits after the PSG game. All right. Cheers. Good night. Cheers, guys. Bye.